is Monique, if I haven't met you already. Grab a seat, make yourselves comfortable. Thanks, Janelle. Um, I uh, work here at Activate. I'm um, part of the kids' ministry team, and sorry, this iPad is so difficult. I'm just going to remove the keypad. That'll make life so much easier. All right, um, I work here at Activate. I'm part of the kids' ministry, so I get to look after... um, our cute little tamariki and I am also part of our uh, young adults ministry as well and so I get to look after our uh, very cute but slightly older tamariki (laughs) Um, and uh, so I've just recently um, come back to Hamilton I've been in Hamilton for most of my life since we moved to New Zealand Um, and uh, but for the past two years I've actually been in Dunedin is there anyone here who's from Dunedin Otago Southland oh yes all right go Southland Um, I know listen I know Dunedin gets a bad rap um, but to be honest it, there's parts of the city and a lot of parts of the city and the surrounding countryside that is absolutely gorgeous. Um, so don't judge it before you get to it. Uh, but I will admit that uh, the party culture rumors that you've heard, very true. Very true. (laughs) I was part of this uh, organization called Red Frogs um, while I was down there. Uh, It's this student service kind of organization. So we get to go into um, like the huge parties that they have, the Hyde Street parties or the stadiums, the rugby games, or there was a 660 concert one time. And what we do is we just go in, uh, we take care of all the people um, and and give them water, give them food, help them sober up if they need a ride home, then we'll um, sort that out for them. I got very good at uh, one of my favorite tasks, the vomit bag. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, I remember this one time at a rugby game, we had this one girl come in to our tent. She sort of stumbles out of the rugby game and... Um, She's walking like she's on a, on a ship. And she points at us and she goes, I'm not drunk, I'm happy. <laughs> and she repeats that quite a lot. She said, I, I'm, not, I'm not drunk, I'm happy. <laughs> and she just kind of, sort of comes in, and it was so cute. And she comes in and she plops down on the beanbag in front of me and we have a good yarn for the evening. Um, and... Uh, and, well, when I say yarn, it's mostly one-sided. It's a lot of her repeating that she's very happy, and she looks very happy. Um, and then she gets what I describe as uh, a lights-on look. A lights-on look. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, heard of a lights-on look. It's, bear with me, um, the, the feeling you get when you go into a house party... Now, I understand not everyone's been there, and I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. In fact, please don't. Um, they, people will go in, they'll sit on the couch, they'll be enjoying themselves, and then, uh, and the lights are kind of low, it's moody, the vibe is great, the music's pumping, um, and they're sitting on the couch, and then the light switches on. And uh, suddenly, the couch that you're sitting on has stains and rips, and it doesn't look that great. And the friend that's leaning against your shoulder sleeping, that's not your friend. That's a bearded stranger who's drooling. <laughs> and uh, that piece of chocolate that you picked up from the bowl, that's not chocolate. It's brown and it has legs. 
That's all I'm saying. That's a lights on look. That's a lights on look. Best way I can describe it. Um, would not recommend searching out that feeling. Uh, it's, the, it's the feeling where suddenly everything that seemed great is illuminated by these very unflattering white LED lights and everything that you thought was good suddenly seems slightly dirty and hollow and empty. It's the lights on look. So anyways, this girl, she had a lights on look and uh, she sort of sits there and, ooh. and two seconds later, after declaring that she is the happiest that she's ever been in her entire life, she's filling my vomit back. Mm. Um, and <laughs> so lights on looks are super helpful for um, making sure that you don't have to clean yourself up afterwards. I think we've all had similar moments in our lives. Lights on moments where we thought what we had or what we were doing made us happy. And then the lights flick on and we realize that what we were doing wasn't actually as great as it looked. It was just sort of empty and, and, and hollow and a little bit dirty. We, we chase after the things in life that we think give us meaning. And uh, the world tells us that it'll make us happy. And for a short time, it does. And then we often find ourselves standing there with the light switched on, wondering why the happiness didn't last. Wondering why what the world told us was wisdom just ended up being a waste. So we've started the series on wisdom. Um, not sure if you're aware. Uh, <laughs> um, last week, Pastor Steve uh, informed us that wisdom is actually looking at things from God's perspective or understanding things from God's perspective and then acting accordingly. Pastor Michael this morning, everyone give him a hand, <laughs> gave, us, <laughs> gave us a really fantastic word um, he shared from the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes on uh, why life is so fleeting and how we should live life well because it is fleeting. Um, I'm going to talk about the book of, from the book of Ecclesiastes today as well, but from a little bit of a different angle. So I don't know how much you know about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very fun book. It's uh, very high energy. Leaves you feeling so much better about yourself. <laughs> I've got some of my favorite quotes from it that I want to share with you guys, just to perk up your day. Here we go. All right. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And I declare that the dead who had already died are happier than the living. <laughs> this too is meaningless, a miserable business. Oh, this one. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. <laughs> and this is my favorite. Death is the destiny of everyone. <laughs> what a lovely ray of sunshine this author is. Like, like I said, super upbeat. Um, you're not going to need a coffee shot in the morning. This will definitely get you stoked for the day. <laughs> now, before we go on, I just want to make sure that you guys understand where this author is coming from. It's written by this book, Ecclesiastes, um, a person that we think is King Solomon. We're pretty sure it's him. The wisest man who ever lived. Uh, he was also probably one of the richest men who ever lived at his time. Um, and people came from all over the world to see this guy. 
to, to hear his wisdom, to hear him speak. So he was super famous too. In, a, in essence, he seemed like the guy who had it all. Um, and then he writes this book of Ecclesiastes. It's a story about how the wisest man who ever lived seeks to find the meaning of life. But Solomon writes, and I'm going to quote the Uvision um, video from this morning. Solomon writes, not as a man who knows it all, but as a man who's chased it all. Now, I studied for six years psychology, so I'm super into, like, science, and it's great. This book, I would say, is probably the first recorded social experiment of its time. If you really look at it, he's going from this angle of, there's, I want to find the meaning of life, so I'm going to figure out how to find that. So Solomon goes, um, this is essentially how experiments work, by the way, so bear with me. You have a hypothesis, an explanation for the way that the world works. You test the hypothesis using various methods. The results either support the hypothesis or they fail to support the hypothesis. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 12 to 13, Solomon approaches this, and we think it's Solomon, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Oh, nope, that is not it. <laughs> it is... I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. So he sets out to find the meaning of life. First place he looks, knowledge. Oh, yeah. And he gets a little bit depressing after that, too. Um, first place he looks is knowledge. Solomon seeks to know everything that there is in the world, so he seeks to find meaning in learning, finding out new things, the academic success, essentially. What does he find? He finds that there is no meaning in it. It's a lights-on moment for him. He finds that it is meaningless, is what he says. So then Solomon goes, all right, hypothesis number two. Meaning of life is found in pleasure. I'm going to eat as much as I can, drink as much as I can, have fun as much as I can. What does he find happens after that? Meaningless. Hypothesis number three, work. Work must be where we find meaning. So he labors and he toils and he builds things and he makes things. And what does he find? After a while, it's still a little bit empty, meaningless. So then he goes, all right, what about wealth? I'm going to accumulate as much wealth as I possibly can, as much things as I possibly can, as much material stuff in this world as I can. And it's still meaningless. And then he goes, all right, what about glory? I'm going to make a name for myself, have a reputation for myself. It'll last beyond my lifetime. So surely there must be meaning in it, right? And then he comes to the story of, this wise man who uh, saved a city. And the wise man's name was remembered for one generation and then it faded away and that wise man's wisdom was forgotten. And Solomon looked at that and realized that even if he made a name for himself, it would be forgotten within a generation or two. His words would be forgotten, who he was would be forgotten, and just remnants of who he was would be left behind. But that's not you, right? Your reputation isn't you, so meaningless. And then Solomon goes, what about relationships? Meaning in relationships, right? People are great. People are awesome. I think Jesus agrees as well. People are fantastic. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're fantastic. Yeah, that was also meaningless. 
<laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Solomon, uh, to, be, to be fair, he had 700 wives, so maybe he just had 699 too many. Just, just saying. So at the end of the day, he goes, there was no meaning to be found in anything under the sun. No meaning in the things of this world. He decides that this world that we live in doesn't produce the things that we are longing for. It creates a lights-on moment every single time. Key phrase here, under the sun. So he's talking about everything under the sun, everything beyond the scope of God. So we come at the end of this grand experiment, and I just want to pause before Solomon gives his conclusion, because this is not just something that the wisest man who's ever lived has come to this conclusion about. Um, Anyone know Brad Pitt? In a Rolling Stones article, Brad Pitt, um, fantastic actor, sometimes, um, (laughs) said, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? I say, if you ask me, I say toss all of this. We've got to find something else. Because all I know at this point in time is we're headed for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of spiritual being. And I don't want that. I'm the guy who's got everything, I know, he says. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. So we come to the end of this grand experiment where nothing under the sun really matters, really fills that void in our lives. And Solomon concludes with this point. Now that all has been heard, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13, now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God was his conclusion. Follow his ways was his conclusion. There is no true satisfaction apart from knowing God and following his ways. It's the light Solomon sees by, and all his wisdom, what he concludes is that we should see by this too, that the meaning of life, full joy and satisfaction comes from fearing the Lord and obeying his commands. Now, fearing the Lord, I just want to be very specific, doesn't mean being scared of the Lord. It's fear in the sense that it is the the respect sometimes that, that a servant has to its master, that you fear and serve your master. But in another sense, it's also mostly the awe and reverence that is stirred up by considering something greater than yourself. Think of the ocean, right? Poor comparison, but think of the ocean. It's vast and untamable and way too powerful for you to ever control. We fear the ocean not because we are afraid of it, but because it stirs respect in us. And the ocean doesn't even come close to God. The maker of heaven and earth, who split the seas and made great pillars of fire and and healed the lame and made the blind see and, and raised the dead to life. That is the God that we get to have awe and respect for, for through him and in him and for him all things were made. What does that stir in you? I think of this song. What it stirs in me is, is um, this song, Hitapu Te Ariki, by Blueprint Church. I love it. They, they base the chorus off um, the song that is sung by the angels in the book of Revelation to, to 
praise the glory of God, and it goes tapu-tapu e tapu te ariki. Te atua o te mana me te kaha, ki tonu te rangi me te whenua, ki tō kororia, ohana i runga rawa. Holy, holy, holy God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Doesn't that stir something in you? Doesn't that make you want to just praise God, be thankful to him? A thousand hallelujahs that we were singing. So when I say fear of God, what I really mean is just the awe and respect that we have at contemplating someone who is so much bigger than we could possibly grasp. And this is where wisdom begins. In Job 28, another man who had everything and lost everything comes to this conclusion. He says, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing. God alone understands the way to it. When he looked at wisdom and appraised it, he confirmed it and tested it, and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. And in Proverbs it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you start to see a bit of a pattern happening here? This awe and awareness of the Lord that we serve is the foundation upon which we build wisdom to pursue that which actually gives meaning, to live not just for the moment, but for eternity. My friends, we were not created for this moment. We were created for eternity. If you live in the light, you won't ever have a lights on moment. See, Pastor Steve said that wisdom was seeing things from God's perspective and then acting accordingly. I want to just say the same thing, different angle on it. Live in light of eternity. That is what we are called to do. That is fear of the Lord. That's the, that's the response that it stirs from us. If you live in the light, you won't ever have a lights on moment. John 8, 8 verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, it's comfortable to go for the mood lighting. To live your life prioritizing the things that look good in the moment. Success, fame, money, relationships, fun. They all look good in the half light. They're fun for a time. I've chased these things too. I'm by no means innocent in this regard. I've compromised a lot to feel good for a short while. This girl that I was speaking to at Red Frogs, she was crying a lot in between bouts with a bag. Um, <laughs> and she, uh, she started telling us her story. So in between those moments where she had some free time, she, she started to tell us about how she'd been at the rugby game, but she'd come alone because she was a first year and six months in she hadn't made any friends at her hall. And so no one had come out to join her because no one had gone with her in the first place and she was deeply lonely. And so she partied to numb the pain, to have a little bit of fun in her life. And so we talked and then she turned to me and she said, why are you helping me? Why are you doing this? You don't even know me. And I said to her, we do know you. We're just like you. I looked at her and all I could see was myself reflected back in her eyes. I never partied and got drunk, but I chased meanings in so many other areas that were not God. Relationships, work, perfectionism that hid my flaws from everyone else but myself. It was never enough. I tried to silence the gnawing in my chest 
that said that there was something more than just this life that I was living. We are no better than any other human being. We're all broken. We're all flawed at the end of the day. We are all broken people in desperate need of God. And I want you to understand that Solomon already knew God. So when he's pursuing all of these things, it wasn't like he wasn't aware of God. It wasn't like he wasn't aware that there was meaning in God. We're just as capable of getting off track, of slipping and prioritizing temporary things as any other human being. But we were not made to live for the moment. We were made to live for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in the human heart, yet none can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So what are you pursuing? What are you chasing after to find meaning in, to settle that sense of eternity? I know the easiest way to figure this out is to just look at what you're spending your time on. What are you prioritizing? What's your energy getting poured into? What are you seeking to fill that void that isn't God? Wisdom is built on knowing what matters and acting accordingly. So if we live in light of eternity, we'll restructure our lives accordingly. I look at Chloe, who's done such an incredible thing today. She's dedicated her life to God, and then she's taken that next step of obedience. She's restructured her life in light of eternity. How beautiful is that? Knowledge, pleasure, work, wealth, glory, relationships, none of these things bring lasting meaning. They bring short-term joy and instant gratification, but they do not echo into eternity. There are no lights-on moments in the light of God's glory and grace. If you want to avoid the lights-on moments, I think you need to live in the light in the first place.